North Florida's best rock. It's Rock 104. Days of the new touch, peel, and stand. Before that, bad company off the record. Bad company. It's bad company. <laughs> Man, I feel like I'm back at school. <laughs> Man, I was hoping you, you'd pull off a My Three Songs break. Yeah, I That's could. Just me. I could always throw it in. <laughs> <laughs> Alex Miniak with us this week and uh spoiler alert we know Alex we worked with Alex Alex was a mentor um and and one of the people who was probably most influential on uh my time at at uh Rock 104 because he was my boss he was uh, uh one of the jocks that was on air when I was there he did radio and we'll get into all that but uh so good to see you, Alex Yeah you too guys yeah, a little disappointed you're not we're not recording this because you know we could see each other even though the listeners don't know that really. I'm a little disappointed that you're not recording this at Petco Park. Ah, well, you know, I don't uh, I'm there a lot, but I don't necessarily sleep there. Although even on double headers, <laughs> I could really use a nap room and that's gonna be in my next contract. But you know, I guess they figure, you know, double headers are, are far and few between in San Diego, so I don't need those creature comforts. But uh, I'm still going to ask Do it. Uh, Alex, you know, a lot of the times we'll start with, uh, you know, why'd you get into radio? Why radio? How, how did, how'd you get there? I think with, with you, it m- might be a little bit more obvious. Maybe it's just obvious to me. You've got a, a golden voice. So I wonder if, uh, if you want to walk us through, like how early did the idea of getting into radio or broadcasting start with you? Um, Actually, probably not even till college, really. And I know that's surprising. I was a fan of radio growing up. I used to I used to have a tape deck and I would hit record and record mix shows and uh, dance parties and all that kind of stuff uh, when I was a kid. Uh, but I never thought it'd be a career. I was just really interested in music. And that because, you know, that's because of my, both, both my parents, really, my dad introducing me to Stones records and jazz, uh, uh, all kinds of genres early on in life. And my mother was a music major. We had a baby grand piano in the house growing up. She still has it to this day. Um, And so I know I wanted to do something musically. I didn't think it was going to be on air. Um, I didn't play any instruments. I was a sports kid. Um, I saved up $75 one time and went to Sears and bought a keyboard and I learned to play Eye of the Tiger. No joke. Um, it's the only song I nice. ever learned how to play. Right. And uh, Rocky Four, baby. And um, <laughs> yeah. so so I, I thought that I would have something in the recording or engineering space um, with music more so than than being on air. And in fact, uh, I went to UF to be an electrical engineer to really kind of figure out how studios work, um, you know, putting them together, um, acoustics, uh, and, and all of that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, I think I think just being around. My first job at RUF was was board hopping overnight at uh, AM850, um, and uh, that was a great semester, by the way. It was the only semester I ever had a 4.0 because I was forced to stay up all night and read. Um, <laughs> but but then I saw the the posting on the wall that, that Rock 104 needed jocks. And I'm like, you know, I'll give this a shot, I guess. And, you know, I walked into Harry and Harry was like, you got a great voice, um, but you need to enunciate it. We'll work on that. And so that's how that tra- that trajectory kind of went for me. Um, 
And I found out that I really enjoyed it. It really allowed me to get out of my shell. I was kind of a shy and reserved person up until that point. And being in front of people and thriving off that was was something new to me and something that I truly loved. So that's what really set me on that course. It wasn't like he's got a great voice. I just thought I had a voice. I had to figure out what to do with it. And that's what 104 really taught me. Wow. Alex Miniak working overnights at AM850. That's like that's like seeing Mickey Mantle like in the minors before he he was called up to the to the Yankees, man. That's that's pretty awesome to hear. I never knew that. That's straight rookie rookie ball, baby. Two to six a.m. Uh, <laughs> running Art Bell yeah. coast to coast twice an hour, putting the carts in, punching commercials, and then going back to reading for another twenty five minutes until the top of the hour. <laughs> Is there any part of you that thinks those were good days? Like- yeah, I loved them. There were. Absolutely. Um, I enjoyed learning everything. I still try to learn once a day something new today. And, you know, I loved kind of being in the trenches. How does this great machine that we hear on the air work? And that went back to all those little things, the punching of the buttons, the grabbing of the carts, the going in the satellite room and dialing up and changing the settings, uh, recording things unreal. Like none of that matters in today today's radio with, with technology. But back <laughs> then, the mechanical nature of that, um, that was what was behind the curtain. And that was really interesting to me. And, you know, being a person of that mindset, uh, I just, I found it fascinating. And so, um, you know, like I was telling you guys, I went to become an engineer and those are like little engineering things. Right. So, um, so I really found that, that very, very interesting. And I, I very much enjoyed it. So I stand corrected. You weren't, uh, you know, a 13 year old radio prodigy. No, Um, but you know, by the, (laughs) by the time I got there, you seemed like a pros pro as much as any of us at one Oh four, could seem or sound professional guys like you and Killebrew really sounded like pros. So uh, it, uh, 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 all right, it's maybe Spano too. No, I uh, <laughs> no you That's did. Okay. Uh, but so you, you started radio and everybody's got a Harry story. You say you saw a sign on the wall. You, when you talk to Harry besides him saying, you know, you got a vo- good voice and you know, we can work on it. What was that meeting like for the first time? Or, or did you already know him because you'd worked in the, in the building with him? No, because I'd I'd worked overnight, so I never saw the man. You know, it was kind of like this office, and it was dark, and it was locked, and I saw the name on the door, and so I had I didn't know what to expect, and so I went in, and and you know, this story is the same for for many people who went through those halls. You know, come in, you sit down. Here's a bunch of liner cards. Read these. Eric Clapton coming up tonight in concert, and you know. You don't know how to read those things. You hear how they're read, but you don't know how to do them yourself to make them sound like the way they should, right? And so, you know, Harry was good in in teaching how to hit key points, how to create some sort of drama and interest within each read. Um, You know, he could help you make the most basic of announcements sound like they mattered and that they meant something to somebody who was listening. And so, you know, even in that first meeting, I was like, okay, I'm getting something out of that. Um, And then, you know, then going in the room and practicing and recording the tape and bringing it back and, 
is this closer? No, you need to do this. So like those little things, it's, that's the best education I got in college, you know, and I learned a lot in college, but real practice in a real world setting with a real pro who, who understood what it took to get to the next level. Um, that's really what I took away from every meeting that I, that I had with Harry, that and a few free pe pretzels and Altoids, um, you know, that's, uh, <laughs> and, and hoping you, you were able to pull a free CD off the shelf on your way out, you know, but that, that's, you know, that's, that's really what I took away from that. I, I, and, and those little moments stick to me, you know, stick in my brain to this day doing major league baseball. So what year is this? What semester is this at UF that you get over to the FM side? Yeah, summer of 97 going into, oh, I'm sorry. It'd be summer of 90, I guess it would be, gosh, all those years run together. Um, I would have been a junior. So yeah, summer of 97 going into fall of 97. Okay. All right, good. Do you, do you go right to overnights or... Yeah, so I had that. So the first shift I got was the Sunday into Monday overnight, which is the worst overnight you can get. Anybody who's ever worked that knows that's the worst overnight you can get. And I'll never forget my first break. Um, you know, it was like sweaty palms, standing up, all these buttons, um, card here. And, you know, I'm holding the card and my hand is just shaking. You know, I punch the mic up, dead silence, and I drop the card. And so the card falls onto the board <laughs> and then underneath the console. So you can hear like this dead silence and rustling around probably while I'm searching for this thing. And in my mind, I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. And you think that everybody's listening. You think Harry is up at two in the morning on a Sunday waiting for this kid's first break, right? And you're like, I'm done. Like first break, I am so out of here. And, and you know, you're like, wow, uh, how could I have screwed that up anymore? But, but then you learn, like you, you, you know, you get through it, you get through your first shift, you get through your first couple months and it starts feeling a little bit more natural. And, um, you start trying things, you take the feedback and you use it and, and it, and it became, you know, it became like a shift. It became a little show. And so that, uh, that, that gave me some satisfaction, um, uh, to make that little Island of time Sunday, uh, you know, two to 6 a.m., uh, you know, worthwhile. A lot of us that worked with you at that time, uh, you know, we knew you, we were under you, you were APD, you wrote the liners, you were Harry's, you know, head general in charge. And, and what you really did was, I mean, a lot of things you're talking about learning from Harry, you passed down to us too. And yeah. another important aspect of what you provided, we were a lot of loose cannons. Yes. <laughs> and you kept us grounded. I mean, if it wasn't for you, you know, I don't know if half of us would have made it out of there. You really yeah. kept us grounded with the priorities we needed to execute on air, right? Because we were just college kids getting into rock radio. So I always appreciated that about you. And, you know, we became buddies and had some good times, too. Um, but how long from that overnight shift did it take you to get to, okay, now your your afternoons cross the board drive time? APD? Um, it moved pretty quickly, actually. So, um, you know, I, I got a couple more overnight shifts that fall of 97. Spring of 98, he moved me into middays. Um, and I split that with Karen Campbell, um, who um, 
uh, I, I had class conflicts, so I could do like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, nine to noon, and she did Tuesday, Thursday, and then I had a Saturday shift too, going into um, uh, going into any sports or anything that we were running, and um, uh, and then in the summer or in the fall of '98 is when I got the the, the full time afternoon position, and I think you know Harry. Harry took a chance because I still wasn't really refined yet, but he's, but I think he thought that it's like, well, the kid sounds good. Just opening his mouth. Right. He's got, he's got pipes. If if we can get him into a way where he's uh, where he sounds like an afternoon guy and he's entertaining and we're hitting everything we need to hit promotionally um, in a very important time slot that I think I can hone this guy. And so I got to that point and I, that's really where I thrived and um, I enjoyed it. And I was there until um, fall of 2000 and I left midway through that, through that semester because I got a job as a program director and I left grad school and, and went on and, and went off into the real world, to the abyss. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I would say I was in that, that role for a good two plus years. So let me ask before we get to post UF stuff. You come in and you've got aspirations of being an engineer or composing a theme song for Rocky Six. <laughs> when do the career? It's East when... versus West, man <laughs> against man. Sorry, when when do the when does the the career goals start to pivot to radio broadcasting? Something that's going to rely on the voice and not so much the you know electrical engineering intellect. Yeah, I think I enjoyed, I started to find that I enjoyed the strategy of radio, the big picture stuff. So I think when we got into the business, you had one of two paths if you wanted to make this career. Either either you were going to be a, a zany morning guy or you were going to be an executive. And um, what I found doing the APD stuff and, and like, you know, like you were talking about keeping you guys grounded I had a bigger picture, right? I, I knew, I understood the branding of the station, uh, where we needed to sit competitively, how each quarter hour mattered, um, treat every 15 minute segment like it's the only segment that you have that day. Um, and that's why I was a little bit OCD. Okay, a lot of bit OCD, um, <laughs> you know, it's, during that time, because I knew <laughs> that if we worked together as a team, to deliver on that vision every 15 minutes, there's no way we could lose. And so there was a little bit of competitive fire there. There was a little bit of strategy there. There was a little bit of marketing and branding there. And so I was like, yeah, like, okay, I like putting this puzzle together and I see the end result, and I can get us there if you guys just follow my lead on this. And yeah, I'm going to be picky and yeah, I'm going to be a stickler for stuff, but this is live and you can't undo what you just did. So we have to, we have to deliver it on it every single time. And so the more I did that, I'm like, this is where I want to be. And you don't need to take calculus to get there. So, <laughs> you know, I, 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 <laughs> I was never a student of math. So, you know, I, I, I didn't, I, engineering, I would have failed massively. So uh, the st- strategic vision of it is really what, um, created a career for me or created a path towards a career. Just hearing this makes me think about 
I'm not saying it to be funny. What a disappointment I must have been as an APD following you. <laughs> and it's like it's like who followed Michael Jordan, right? Who was <laughs> on the Bulls? But also, I mean, I I was probably miscast in this role. I did not have the passion that you did. But now thinking back, I wish I'd picked your brain more about what you did as APD because this stuff seems really interesting. I just was, I was clueless about it. I knew I had to come in, get the week ready with liner cards and I had to get the King biscuit flower hour ready and have that dat there. And, but I was not going beyond the surface level stuff. So I was probably a big disappointment as an APD. I'm, I'm disappointed in myself. Agreed. I wish I had no more. <laughs> But you know, Dan, to your defense and I'll, I'll, I'll speak to your defense Spano. Uh, but I, I'll speak to your defense here, Dan is, is that that was the job. I think in my brain, I just delivered next level. I saw what was possible and how it was going to um, create a career path for me and how to take advantage of it. So maybe it wasn't so much, it, it wasn't you doing the job wrong. You did the job and and you kept the train on the tracks. You kept everybody ground. You kept everybody moving forward. You did what needed to be done. But I just saw it as a bigger picture thing because that's the way my brain works. And that's it. Um, you know, and I, and I took advantage of, of that situation. Yeah. I'm glad you did because it seems like it's worked out, but, and we'll get to that career stuff in, in a second. I do want to talk about Tradio because you also did Tradio before I did. And what was that like for you? Did you enjoy it or was it just a, a way to pick up a few hours each week? No, I, I, I wanted to do it. Um, it was a new challenge, uh, talk radio. Like we were used to, doing breaks and having limited segments of time, you go to AM on a Saturday morning, it's the total opposite. It's, you know, your breaks are, sh are or commercial breaks are very short and you have long periods of time to fill. So what do you do from a content perspective to fill all that time? Now, for those who are listening who don't know what Tradio was, um, it was basically an on-air garage sale every morning on Saturday morning from 7 to 10. And um, that first hour, especially 7 to 8, you don't get a lot of calls. And so it was like, what are ways that we can be entertaining in this little block of time? And then once we get into 8 and then 9, it's all phone calls and people calling in. But but the challenge of filling, especially that 7 to 8 hour, was, was something that was interesting to me. And what could we make out of this time. And we did a lot of things. A lot of times we were on before the Gator football pregame show. So in my head, it was like the 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 pregame's pregame show. Like what could we do that was Gator football related and talk about going into? Spano, I remember this, and I use this example to this day about you coming in the studio, us handing you a plate and going out to RVs and getting a little bit of food from each of the RVs to bring back to us that we would then eat and try and critique on the air. And um, <laughs> it was just little fun things like that, sending you to garage sales and you came back, we gave you, I don't know, five bucks, which we didn't have. I don't even know how we pulled together five bucks, but pull, five bucks, you go out, you came back with used liquor bottles one time, you know, somebody well, was selling. What, what happened was I was going from house to house and garage sales, especially, in some of the more rural parts of Gainesville at that time, you would find some really odd things. So I would call in and I would, I would tell them where I'm at and I would pick like the oddest couple of items and describe them. And that was kind of funny on air. Right. But 
at one <laughs> one house had a box of tapes for sale. Not even <laughs> real tapes, like tapes taped off the radio with a label, a handwritten label. And one was Edit James. And honestly, I'd never heard of Edit James. But Alex's on-air name was Alex James. So I was going crazy because I found this Edit James tape. And I remember getting back to the studio, literally 30 seconds left in the show. And I run in and you throw it in the tape deck and we, we go out of the show playing Edit James. And it was just really funny. And, and uh, yeah, I had a great time doing that, man. I remember calling it Elta James because I couldn't read the handwriting <laughs> yes. on the label. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I, they didn't even I, spell it right. That's one of like those little bits were what I really enjoyed about that show. I almost got mad about the callers because we were on such a roll by that point. It was like, oh, we have to do our job. Oh, what's up with that? Um, but and then and then we took the show on the road, and that's how like Grandies came to be, and 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 we were finding sponsors and helping sales, and so that was a different kind of experience. Um, we were making a show our own, and we were figuring out how to sustain it. And, uh, and I, that's what I really enjoyed about, about doing that show, uh, for as long as we did it, we did it, we did it a couple of years. It was fun. It's funny how much time, how much time I spent in that FM studio, probably five times as much as I spent in that AM studio doing Tradio or 8.50 in the morning, but how many of my good fun memories from WRUF come from the AM side. Cause oh, it yeah. was just goofy and fun and just a, a what a blast before we get out of alex's ruf experience i mean i have so many stories a lot you know obviously i can't tell uh on here and a couple we used to get him on the program kind of like a bribe to be honest uh because mm -hmm. he's big time and we'll get into that in a little bit but one story uh i sort of you know alex liked to keep everything structured and on point and uh he had me sub for him uh, fill in on air for his afternoon drive one time. And uh, I broke his trust. And I don't think he talked to me for, for years after that. Alex, what, what did I do? That was so you bad. You played Freeze Frame by Jay Giles Band. <laughs> <laughs> broke format. Oh. How can yeah, we yeah. Be, how can we be North Florida's best rock, the rock station, and you're playing pop hits like Jay Giles Band at the top of five o'clock? It just it just doesn't work. No. <laughs> he should have played centerfold. No, no Jay Giles Band. That's the answer. <laughs> I I was doing the morning show with Todd at the time, so when I covered regular, you know, shifts during the week, Harry gave me a little more leash than he would give other jocks uh to be a little more creative and uh you know my theme for my three songs was photograph i think by the uh, def Lep, whatever so it fit the bit um just not in alex's eyes and i think you called the studio hotline maybe oh i was and, fired and up shoot me out a little I bit was ringing that yeah line. yeah it was <laughs> <laughs> i like that alex took time off spano was working but alex is still listening <laughs> always alex was always listening i was and and you know it's funny you know it took me a number of years to realize like little stuff like that was okay because i used to even after i left wruf and i and i went on to other radio stations i would still be that fired up and it finally took a morning guy great morning guy named greg kretschmar who's still doing mornings up in new hampshire to say bro it's okay like 
We're not crashing and burning the ratings because we played one song here at a certain time. But I was that focused on the big picture. And that was another learning later in my career that you can loosen the reins and it's still going to be okay, right? Everybody's still going to have a good time and have a good memory. So um, so I forgive you um, for that. I may have been wrong. Um, so this is the first time also in <laughs> Finally, I've been waiting for closure on this for 20 years. 25 years, yes. So uh, 25 years. Man, we're old. Yes, here, here we are. Um, <laughs> this is a big moment. And don't tap the glass history, an on-air apology, Spano, uh, it, it's okay. I'm not oh. sure I'm going to say full-on I'm sorry, but it's okay, okay? That's all right. We've let it go. <laughs> Thank you. Means Alex, okay. if you need a night off at Petco Park, are you going to let Spano sit in for you? No, absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> well, be Jay Giles night. Probably a good call. Yeah. Uh, all right. So, uh, Alex, you, you graduate and you move on. And what's your first step outside of Gainesville? What, what is it? I went down to um, Sarasota, actually. There was a station there called WINF, which was a big – those call letters mean a lot in the, in the Tampa market. Um, they were rebirthed in the 90s down in Sarasota. And um, they had fallen on hard times. Um, there was a lot of signal bleed in from Tampa and Fort Myers in that market. They had just gone through a signal swap where the station was downgraded um, to a little 6,000 watt station. And it had really fallen on hard times. They lost their morning show. Um, so that was, that was an interesting little challenge um, for me as my first job. It's like, how do we kind of put a little luster back on that? And, you know, my strategy working, working with Clear Channel and working with Brad Harden and, and the team was to, um, you know, don't sound like this station is down on its luck. Make it sound like it's the biggest little station that ever existed. So, you know, we, we hired solid talent. Um, we put a big imaging voice on it. We, we rocked, you know, it was, it was constant, no slow songs. We were just kind of pounding it all the time. And, um, you know, with familiar stuff, with new stuff, we, we carved out a, a lane called mainstream rock, basically that wasn't full on classic, but it wasn't full on active rock. And we just kind of went for that hole, regardless of kind of what was happening around us. We kind of put the blinders on and said, this was our end result. Now, I was really proud of that station. And the people that work with me on this station are still friends to this day. And I almost talk to, you know, once or twice a week. And, um, but, you know, it's a results-driven business and we weren't able to make the results necessary to keep her afloat. And so that there was a 9-11 uh, happened and right after 9-11, there was a format change. Um, and... Uh, Clear Channel was was impressed enough with the job that that was done on that station to say like, hey, we've got a couple opportunities for you. It's kind of up to you. See which one that you're most interested in. And the one I was most interested in was the one that was very far away, which was in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Um, but it was an interesting challenge because I didn't know anybody there. It was a completely different place geographically, you know, climate, everything. Um, but it was a similar situation. You know, solid rocker, longtime station, great name, good morning show, had fallen on hard times, kind of like lost its direction. 
And how can we pull that back? So that became sort of my reputation was cleaning up these heritage stations, you know, getting them back on a path and, and bringing them back to a place they deserve to be. And so I did that for Clear Channel up until about 2006. And then, uh, you know, cuts. That's the nature of the industry, cuts. Uh, I go across the street to Saga Communications. They launched a new rocker. Hey, let's hire the guy that just got fired. Bring him over. He's going to know most about that building. And we went up against him. But limited resources just couldn't compete. And then the, uh, the Great Recession happened. And um, that station went away, too. And it got to that point where it was like, OK, I've chased this dream far enough. Um, I don't really want to go to Montana or wherever else to kind of keep this dream going. Where, what can I do next? And, and I took a step back. Um, I didn't work for 17 months due to the recession. And um, I started to dabble in sports. That's when I got into baseball. And uh, being an announcer for the AA New Hampshire Fisher Cats. Um, and then I latched on uh, with a marketing agency. And the marketing agency was an event agency. They worked with big brands, P&G, Ben and & Jerry's, um, Turner Sports, Activision. And we created events for people in real world settings, New York, Los Angeles. So it became sort of like radio, but our language was brands, not necessarily music and entertainment. And so I found a, I found a calling sort of on that side. I could still strategize. We're going to be here at this time. We're going to be giving out these things. These are the messages we're going to be delivering. And so um, I use that skill set for something else. Um, and then this baseball thing kind of kept rolling. And, uh, you know, I had an opportunity to fill in at Fenway Park. Um, and I had an opportunity to... Uh, to audition at Wrigley Field, where I was a, a finalist for the Wrigley Field job. And I'm like, okay, this is something that's unfulfilled. And, and that is being behind the microphone at the highest of high levels. Radio didn't get me there, but maybe sports can. And that's when I put all my energy into that. The opportunity in San Diego happened. I put all my energy to that. And I'm now, um, I'm one homestand away from finishing my 10th season as the voice of Peco Park. So, um, uh, that wow, is my, ten yeah, already. Ten, 10 already. So, um, that's my career in a nutshell. You know, I, it's, it's interesting now because I've actually been invited to come back and speak at the college of journalism and, um, and I'm actually being onboarded now as an alumni advisor, um, for the, um, it used to be called telecom, but it's now uh, media production and that's MPMT. I don't, it's, it's the same thing. It's telecom. We'll always call it telecom. It'll always be telecom, but they have a sports track now. And um, I've been actually been invited to come back and advise on, on, on curriculum and advise students and that kind of thing. So it's all sort of come full circle. And I tell the kids that, Very cool. you know, life is not, not a linear path. Um, you think that, I think we're all implanted, you know, early on with you do good, you get a promotion from there, you get another promotion. And it's just this constant ladder. It's not, it's a scattershot and you find opportunities as you go in life and you just capitalize on those little things as, as you determine what success is in, in, in your, in your mindset. 
So, um, yeah, so that's the path that I found. And, uh, and here we are and, and, I'm, and I'm enjoying it. And I'm actually trying to create Alex 4.0 as we speak, um, you know, what that next evolution is. So more on that later, once I figure that out, but, um, or, or get it rolling, but yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of what I did in a nutshell. Let me ask you now, being out of the, uh, radio industry for a while now and, and your obvious passion for rock radio and success and, and everything, all the effort and energy you put into it, looking at the rock radio industry now, how do you feel about it? Um, it's just different. Um, you know, the way people consume media has changed so much since we started, uh, last 10 years, the last five years, I was on a, um, I was on a conference call yesterday webinar about how YouTube has now taken over, uh, the number one mantle for podcasting because people now consume video so much that they're taking an audio format and, and watching the visual component of that. And that is recent. That's within the last two years. So it's, it's just, I, you know, it's, it's, it's just different. There's no, you, you know, you have to embrace technology or get pushed out of the way, right? You're not going to change the trends. It's how you adapt to the trends moving forward. So whatever that may be, however, you are a broadcaster, however you present your material, whatever music you play or whatever, whatever you're delivering has to be delivered in a way that the people are consuming. And if it's not as much radio and it's something else, then that's just what it is. And so I'm not mad about it. It's just, that's the train and you got to jump on that train and, and take, figure out how to take advantage of it. AI is going to be another one. It's like a lot of voiceover talents freaking out. I work with MLB the show and I've read countless introductions to every player in baseball, minors, majors, legends. Um, they have enough audio there to create Robo Alex. I'm sure hours and hours and hours of it, but there'll be a place for that and people will be compensated for it when we figure it out i'm like i don't freak out about everything now it's just what's the landscape going to be like where's this train headed how can we jump on and how can we all monetize it and be happy with it because we can't stand in front of the train and hope it'll stop i think it's a great mindset because you're smart enough uh you're hardworking enough that and you've been through it now to know that if this comes to an end i'm going to work on something else i'm going to get something else you had to go through those things. I'm sure that 17 months wasn't pleasant. You didn't no. know that then that you were just going to land on your feet and everything was going to be great. <laughs> I, I remember that time because we would chat on, I think like AOL back then. And I know we would message back and forth and I, and I knew, you know, the type of person you were and the dedication and determination you had. And I just knew it was just a, a matter of time. And I just remember writing you that a lot. Like, it's just a matter of time. And, uh, man, it's so awesome to see your success now. Thank you. And I appreciate it. And you know what? It's still, it's still a fight. It's still a challenge. Like baseball season is six months. And so I call it baseball season and I call the other six months hustle season. So I fill it with voiceover gigs. I do college basketball and college football. Um, I do corporate events. I do marketing events. And so it's it's piecing that calendar together the rest of those six months. So the the hustle part hasn't stopped. Um, 
you know, I still have to fulfill a lifestyle and get paid and, you know, pay bills and do all the things that we do, support a household. Um, But uh, so there's no resting on on the laurels, you know, 46 year old Alex is hustling as hard as he did when he was, you know, 21 year old Alex, for sure. What's the toughest name you had to you that came across your desk that you had to announce? Um, that would you know it's funny I get that question a lot and it, it would probably go back to they would probably go back to New Hampshire when a Dani Echeverria came up. A Dani was okay. a Cuban signee, shortstop uh, through the uh, Blue Jays organization. He since went on to the Marlins and and uh, other teams, but. I wasn't, I didn't really know how to roll my R's back then, you know, being in New Hampshire, um, there's just not a lot of, uh, Latino influence, you know, now we have Fernando Tatis Jr., uh, which I do on a nightly basis, but back then, we owe, um, we owe Alex $300 now. In royalty. Uh, cameo, uh, there's a special uh, $39 if you, uh, if you sign up now, but, um, um, you I know, was going to so buy I... that for Killer Brew for his birthday, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> and I still awesome. might. So Too rich, okay. yeah. too rich for Spanos, blood. <laughs> um, so I would say, like, that was kind of a challenge was just like, okay, well, how do I say this? And it's funny that we would have kids come up to the booth on Sundays and they would get, like, a they would get an inning to announce. And I would be like, oh, God, a Danny Echeverria is coming up. And I would work with these five-year-old kids, a uh, Danny uh, Danny Echeverria. And I, I, you know, like we would spend like 20 <laughs> minutes preparing these kids to say one name, you know? And so when I think of hardest names, I think of it in two different senses and, 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 and two different environments. And, and that's probably, uh, why I always go back to that name. Alex, my last, last question for you is was baseball a passion all your life or is this a job that grew into a passion? Yeah, I would say it was a little of both. Um, I didn't play baseball. Um, I had baseball cards, but I was a kid of broadcast television and not having a team in Florida. When I was growing up, you had spring training and you went and I became a Mets fan because the Mets spring trained in St. Pete uh, my aunt and uncle used to come down from the White Plains Rye area, bring me to games. And back then, as a kid, you could walk on the field. And I remember going through the dugout, 84, 85, 86, handing the ball to the players, and they would sign it. And, you know, all those kind of things. And so that was my exposure to baseball then. And I, I, and I stuck with the Mets through many, many, many lean years and disappointments. And, um, uh, but, it, you know, it wasn't race. a... No, I never did, actually, because they never started <laughs> no, playing until I, know, I, know. I was in college. The <laughs> Rays are my dad's team. Um, but um, uh, I found that I liked doing baseball because they're, um, it's different from any other sports. All, all the other sports have, you know, running clocks and um, constant action. Baseball has moments, and every little moment could have a different outcome, right? It's, it's, you know, bottom of the second inning, bases loaded, you know, uh, you know, two outs, uh, two strikes, somebody comes to the plate. What's, what's, what are all the things that can happen? Uh, grand slam, uh, you know, ground out to first, pop fly, 
So like all these little things, any, any, any outcome could be five different outcomes. And it's you thinking on your feet about, okay, when I come out of this, what's my mood going to be? Um, you know, and what are we going into so I can make a nice transition? You know, last thing I want to do is after severe disappointment, go, hey, it's time for a hat shuffle, everybody. You know, it's like, it's not, that's not necessarily <laughs> the expectation you want to set. So, um, so being able to like lower that energy and then sort of bring them back saying, you know, like, oh, it's okay. Let's, let's go over here. We have another inning, you know, we have the third, we have the fourth, we have the fifth. So I enjoyed that challenge, like being able to navigate and sort of um, ride the 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 momentum of the crowd based on what's happening on the field with the game. So that's why I really like baseball. Well, once uh, when I worked for 93 Rock in Fort Lauderdale, I actually threw out the first pitch at a Marlins game and everybody had been hounding me all day. You know, don't bounce it. You can't bounce it. You're going to embarrass the station. And I grew up playing ball, a fair amount of ball. So I had a lot of confidence. Well, I had so much adrenaline going through me that I airmailed it over. I almost hit Billy the Marlin. <laughs> he was behind the catcher, not on the side, not one of those crazy first pitches, but I airmailed it. So that made me think, have you ever laughed at a first pitch, like on a hot mic or, or said anything funny after a bad first pitch? Oh, I probably have, um, you know, there's always the joke <laughs> just a bit outside or just a bit high or whatever. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. but, um, it's funny because I always tell people that nobody remembers a good first pitch and in a day of social media and, you know, viral, you know, virality of, of, of all of it, it's like, if you royally mess it up so what you get your moment if it's a perfect pitch nobody cares so like to me that's always been kind of the thing it's like don't psych yourself out about it you know the worst thing that can happen is maybe the best thing that will happen and so it's funny everybody gets a good laugh out of it nobody's going to expect you to come out there like mariano throw heat right down the middle you know and you know, it, it's just, it's, that's not your job. It's not what you do. You, you say know? that. So, I, you say yeah. that, but to this day, my buddies that went to the stadium to watch me throw out that first pitch, text me whenever like the, the 95 year old nun throws a perfect strike first pitch. That's the first thing they do is they text me that because they know yeah. how bad mine was. Yes, because they remember it. They remember the bad pitch. If you threw the strike, you would never sure, get those sure. nun jokes. And that's what I'm saying. So <laughs> you you succeeded by hitting Billy the Marlin or coming close. <laughs> Alex, I won't, I won't, we won't take up any more of your time. But I do want to say, though, how, how proud I am to be associated with you because it wasn't just like, you know, we hear a lot of interesting stories from our guests and really awesome accomplishments. But for so many of them, I, I didn't know them. We were just associated because we worked at the same radio station. But with you, it's a little bit different. We worked together. We were friends. And it's uh, it's really cool to hear these stories. I'm so happy for you about what's going on now with the new uh, opportunity at, at UF and the telecom program or whatever it's going to be called now. And um, really, really uh, happy for everything that's happened for you. So awesome. Oh, thank you, man. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Yeah. I've never, I've never felt the camaraderie there was anywhere else where there's a blurring of lines between work and friends and lifestyle and all those things that kind of, it all, 
it was all the same to us. We walked into the building and that was our home and this was our family. And whether we were in Weimar Hall or at the Porpoise or at a football game or a basketball game or now even on social media, those lines are still blurred. And, and, and those are memories that I will never forget that, that that was really what was special about that whole experience. Um, we were dirt poor and it didn't matter. It's probably one of the happiest times of our lives. And cause, because it was, it, it, it was us. Like it, that's really what it came down to was just having a good family around you. And, and, um, Baseball is, is, I got to tell you, like, I've made some great friends here through, through this business and, and through this industry here. Um, it's, it's probably the closest I've come, um, but nothing tops uh, what we had back then and, and, and still have today. So I'm very thankful for that experience. And anybody who says I'm going to take online classes, I'm like, no, you need to go to college. You got to get the college experience. It's way different. <laughs> and, uh, uh, and that's really why, because it's, it's, a, it's a life experience and one that sets you up for success down the road for sure. Yeah, true. Man, Alex Miniak, the, the voice of Petco Park, San Diego Padres stadium announcer, Voice of the show, MLB the show, my my son, he's seven, and he lives and dies by baseball right now. That's all he does. He plays the show, and then he plays Little League. And I tell him all the time, hey, listen, be quiet. You hear that? That's my college buddy. <laughs> I tell him that all the time. He has no idea what I'm talking about. So so we've gone from chatting in the halls to chatting through a video game now. So I'm really never leaving you alone, John. So, um, uh, <laughs> congrats, I guess. I don't know. It's true. Good luck. Yeah. Okay. It's true. Before we let you go, do you still enjoy a, a nice game of goth? No, 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 no. <laughs> do, you have, do you remember that story? I do remember that story. Okay. All right. Just checking. Just checking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, All right. no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, sh- I should have cut that audio. I have the tape in a box over here. <laughs> he's been, he's been uh, threatening me with that tapes that he's going to convert for 15, 20 years now. Yeah. I don't think oh, you have I destroyed to all evidence. About Everything, uh, Alex, when I moved to San Diego, all of that ended up in a New Hampshire landfill somewhere. So if somebody's willing to go get it, great. <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> that's been burned. Memories Alex, that, is all we have, everybody. Memories. Yeah. It's great catching up with you, man. Congrats on everything you've accomplished. I really appreciate it and excited to uh, see what comes next from you. Appreciate it so much, Alex. Thanks for having me, guys. Good talking to you. Yeah, you too. Go Gators. Go Gators. Go Gators. If you'd like to be a guest on an upcoming episode, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, or email us at don'ttapptheglasspodcast at gmail.com.